You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. It's great to be with you here this morning and to uh, have an opportunity to share for just a few minutes about God's heart for the nations, which is my desire. And uh, I uh, have the privilege of, of getting to be in this room again. I was in this room when I did the wedding for Aaron and Jesse uh, back in good old 2020. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And uh, I saw some of you then, but you looked a little different because you had we all had masks on. But, uh, but I appreciate for road. Carol and I actually lived just down the road here in... Uh, when we were students at Ozark, I, we managed to get a, whoa, I'm getting a little echo there, bro. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> but we managed to buy a house in uh, Country Club Estates just off of Fur Road. And uh, I think I, we paid for the house a little bit less than I paid for my last used car, but um, that was another time. Let me switch over, Jeff. No, I think I didn't get that turned oh. off. It's picking up some of the feedback. There we go. All right. Everybody okay this morning? Good. It's good to see you all. Uh, you're all looking at me. That's a good indication that you're that you're here. Um, I've taught in at Ozark for a lot of years, and so I'm I'm used to uh, having people look at me and not being there. But uh, we're <laughs> no, I just say that facetiously. I love my time at teaching at the school. Today, our topic is Lord of the Nations, Lord of my heart. And my desire is for you to see a little more clearly, and myself as well, because every time I prepare a lesson like this, I am blessed, and uh, because the Lord's always showing me new things, and in his word we see uh, new riches every time we go there, amen? Amen. Amen. I hope you're not bored with the Bible. And uh, the fact is, is that the Lord is teaching us always, and so we're going to be looking in the word, and then we're going to be looking in his world a little bit as we see what some of the things that are taking place Uh, around the world as God is at work. And so I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles here. uh, And the the text is going to be on the screen, but I like to hear pages rustling too. It's good for my soul. And we're going to take a look a little bit at what uh, the the Lord has to say about his heart for the peoples of the earth. Let's pray before we do that, though. So, Father, this morning, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart uh, be pleasing in your sight. Lord, may all of our hearts be united together in a pure desire to to know you and to make you known. Lord, I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters here. I pray uh, that you would bless them and that that blessing would then pour out uh, from them to peoples around the earth, Lord, that they might hear your great name and know your wonderful Savior, your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I like, to, I like to talk about this particular opening text taken from the Garden of Eden, I think you know. Um, and I always like to ask the question, maybe even before you see it, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Uh, who was the first missionary in the Bible? Who was the first missionary? What, what comes to mind just right off the top of your head? I ask a question like that. First missionary, Adam, Adam? <laughs> that's good. I use, that's not usually the answer, but that's a good one. <laughs> but typically, what would you say? Paul. Paul. Paul's obviously the missionary. 
set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've appointed them, you know, and uh, they sent them out from Antioch. Um, we think about Paul, and then, we, of course, we think, well, Jesus, of course, was a missionary, came into the world and, and uh, brought the truth of the gospel and himself and our salvation. Then you go on back, Jonah, that's a good one. Jonah went to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, but, and he didn't like it even when he did. But uh, he's obviously a missionary taken from the Old Testament. You can go other places in the Old Testament as well, right? Abraham, Abraham very good. You guys are, you've been here. Uh, Abraham, and, and we're going to get to Abraham here in a second, being blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And, uh, but what really astonished me not many years ago was to discover... I mean, not like I didn't know this verse was in Scripture, but to discover this text and come to the realization that the very first missionary was God himself. God the Father, knowing that Adam and Eve had chosen to sin, had chosen to disobey the, command, the clear command and instruction he had given them, and how he himself comes into the garden and asks that incredible question, that incredible question that should haunt our thoughts and cause us to think differently even about who the Father is. Adam, where are you? Adam, the, the first human being, the first man. Adam, where are you? And now when God asks a question, an interrogative question, it's not for him to benefit from the answer. He knows the answer already. He didn't ask the question in, in a search for knowledge or where, where in the world I can't seem to find you here. But he asked the question so that Adam would know that he cares enough to come, or should I say to go, into the garden and seek Adam. I, I just am struck by that fact and the fact that the father himself would, so to speak, get up off the throne and come down into Adam's context and search for him and make it known to him that I'm coming to look for you. I'd like you to reflect on that today. If you don't remember anything else I say this morning, think about that one fact. Because you see in the father himself, you see his desire for Adam or for humanity to know him. And so it should be no surprise whatsoever when Jesus says those those well-known words, you know, this, this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And it should be no surprise that the third part of the Trinity should inspire the church and move the church out into mission, out to the world, out to the nations, because our God is a seeking God. He is the one that doesn't have to do any of this. When you think about it, he, doesn't, he didn't have to go into the garden. He could have just sent somebody, go bring them here, because I need to talk to them. <laughs> No, he doesn't do things like that. He himself, the Father God, was the first missionary. And I think long about that and what, what it is that he is saying to us concerning his own heart. You want to know God's heart? <laughs> you want to know God's heart? You want to know what matters to him? Isn't that the thing that matters to you? Of course it is, and to me as well. And so it is we, we see the Father going into the garden as the first missionary. And then we see, of course... Abraham and God speaking to Abraham and Abraham if you move on through the text of the Old Testament the first 11 chapters so to speak coming up to here to chapter 12 is what someone once called the the fall you know the fall the sin of man the the flood which happened right after that and then that someone characterized it as the flop you know the tower of Babel the fall the flood and the flop man's attempt to get to God and to 
to try to assume that relationship and how miserably it failed. And then God comes to Abraham. And I love the way in which some writers have characterized this. It's as if God's saying, okay, I've got a plan. I'm going to, I'm going to redeem shattered Adam. You know, I'm going to bring them back. And here's my plan. Drum roll. <laughs> I don't know, that's super cheesy. But uh, <laughs> here's my plan. And what happens, and, and I've, I've read a few places where it's like, the, the hosts of heaven are like leaning forward and this is going to be big, guys. And it's a childless couple living in Ur of Chaldees, an old childless couple. And the next thing is, what? <laughs> that's the plan? Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. I'm going to bless this man and his wife and through them all of Adam, if you will, broken Adam, all the nations of the world, are going to find blessing and are going to find redemption. And obviously the New Testament explains that a lot more, especially Apostle Paul in the, his epistle to the Galatians where he talks about the gospel being preached in advance to Abraham right here in this very text. Amen? The gospel is being preached. How's that so? Because it is by means of blessing you. You are my messengers. You are the means by which uh, the earth is going to know about me and who I am and what that means. This, this is kind of like a giant pay-it-forward kind of situation. You know, I'm blessing you, Abraham, or Abram, and, but, you know, and I'm blessing you so that. Bless, 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 bless. You see, bless five times in two sentences there. And you see curse, which is a reverse blessing. You see God saying quite clearly, I am blessing you, but for a purpose. I'm not just simply blessing you so you'll feel good about the Christmas present I gave you. I'm giving you a Christmas present so that when you open it up, you're going to see that inside that Christmas present is another Christmas present that's fully wrapped and has somebody else's name on it. That's your present. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I thought so. And wait a minute, wait a minute. How does this work? Don't you know that every blessing from the Lord is intended to be given away? I said something there. Hope you're, somebody was listening. Hope you're listening. Every blessing of the Lord is every gift of the Spirit. Every gift given in, in Scripture is intended to be given away. It's not intended for you to put it on and go, look at me, I really feel good about my Christmas present. It's about giving it away, about being a blessing. We are blessed in order to bless. And Abraham is the example in that. I want you to roll forward now. See, what I'm trying to do is show you that God's heart for the nations can be found not just in the Great Commission, but also in the, in the Old Testament quite clearly. Um, and you come to 1 Kings chapter 8, and 1 Kings chapter 8 is a passage about the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, and it's a great big deal, and King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and the wealthiest man at that time for sure, and dedicating all those resources to build this beautiful dwelling place that the, the peoples could come and worship the Lord, and in the middle of his dedicatory prayer, right there in Jerusalem, right there at the temple, when it's all gotten ready and everything else, in the middle of that prayer, he says this incredibly unusual thing. Because he's praying about God, you've blessed us, you've blessed our nation, and, and now when the foreigner comes, and it says, who does not belong, <laughs> it says in the NIV, who does not belong, uh, what's that? I said, who does not belong, the outsider. When the outsider shows up, Lord, we, you know what we want you to do? We want you to zap him because he's our enemy. That's, <laughs> yeah, you didn't laugh at that. But uh, what, what the Lord is making clear here is that he is not a tribal deity. He is not 
you know, the unique property of one particular nation or one particular group of people. He is Lord of all the nations, and all of the nations matter to him. And his desire is that all the nations, all of shattered Adam, would worship him as they should. And so when that guy shows up here at this temple, Lord, I want you to hear his prayer. What? <laughs> That's an extremely unusual thing to say. I want you to hear his prayer. I want you to honor his request. I want you to look at his heart. I want you to do what you need to do, Lord, so that he might be able to worship you indeed. And in fact, you see that quite clearly portrayed when Jesus shows up at that same temple and has to drive out the money changers and the, the people that are literally forcing the Gentiles out of the Gentile court that was created for them. <laughs> and Jesus was not happy because he said, this is to be a house of prayer for who? For the nations. Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, you can apply that however you want, and if you don't like it, you just need to repent. Okay, <laughs> Psalm 67, Psalm 67, beautiful restatement, if you will, of Genesis chapter 12. This is a well-known passage, and it shows, the same verbiage shows up at several places in Scripture. My mom used to pray this over me. I had a wonderful mom. My mom used to pray this over me, may God you know, be gracious to you, Christopher, and bless you and make his face to shine upon you and give you, and other passages say, and, and give you peace. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Here in, 60, in uh, Psalm 67, written by David a thousand years after Abraham, I said a thousand years after Abraham, David echoes the heart of God that is seen in Genesis chapter 12 when he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Most people stop there, but it doesn't stop there. So that all the nations might know you, that your way may be made known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The reason, again, for the blessing is for the blessing of others, especially the blessing of the rest of Adam, if you will, of the nations, the peoples of the earth. Beautiful statement. Another one is in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, one of my very favorite passages, a very key statement to GNPI, a wonderful organization that I have the privilege of, of knowing. And uh, Habakkuk 2.14, where Scripture says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's such an incredible poetic statement about what is coming. This, remember, this is a prophecy. Hello? I said, remember, this is a prophecy. He's speaking about what is going to happen. You can bet on it. You, can, you know this is going to take place. I want you to remember that on some of your lowest days, that this is going to happen, <laughs> that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It is a prophecy. We, we know it will happen, and it will happen just as surely as the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Amen? Amen. The Lord will do what he has said. And he has said very clearly this, what is going to happen. I want you to notice he doesn't say everybody on earth is going to become a Christ follower. It doesn't say that. It says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. That all will come to hear. That's indeed the Father's intention. It's not for him to force the gospel on anyone or force faith on anyone. Everyone has to choose, but they do need to hear. They do need to hear. Now, I could go a lot of different directions right now. You know, we could, we could get into Matthew 28, a very familiar passage to you all, you know, the Great Commission passage. We could go into Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where, where the Lord is speaking to his 
11 disciples just before he's about to take off. They don't know that, but the next thing they're going to see is his toenails on the bottom of his feet because he's about to send into heaven. He's saying, I'm, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they're going, wait, 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 hey! <laughs> I often wonder, hey! <laughs> We've got some questions here. Uh, I don't think they said that, but uh, I do think about the nature of that. You know, the Great Commission is repeated five times in the, in the four Gospels and the Book of Acts in one form or another. But the most significant one, and especially in line with what I'm talking about here this morning, seeing God's heart for the nations as revealed throughout Scripture, is found in Luke. In Luke 24. And if you remember, Luke, it's almost for sure, Luke was a Gentile, the only Gentile writer in Scripture. And uh, he is writing about what Jesus had to say uh, to his disciples. This would have been on resurrection evening at the beginning of Jesus' 40 days of teaching the disciples before he did ascend into heaven. And it says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, of course. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And we go, yeah, the resurrection, it's, it's present in the Old Testament Messianic Scripture. But then Jesus goes on. <laughs> Don't you love it when Jesus goes on? Are you all listening to me this morning? Yeah. He goes on and he says, And that repentance for forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You're opening the scriptures and you're telling us this is what the Old Testament is saying? And Jesus said, yep. <laughs> you heard of a guy named Abraham? <laughs> You've heard of a dedication of a, of a temple in Jerusalem? This is my heart. This is that the peoples of the earth read the book of Psalms. It's full of declarations concerning God's heart for the nations and his desire for them to, have, to know uh, his salvation that's found in, in that. I can't hardly believe that I missed that. And I often wonder, you know, Luke 24 here, just before this happens, is Jesus' conversation with the two guys on the road to Emmaus, you know. This is, this is the day, of, you know, later in the day, probably, of, of the resurrection. And Jesus is talking to them and teaching them, and then later, you know, you know that story. And he disappears, and they say, didn't our hearts burn within him in us when he was opening the word to us? And I think about, and then he shows up the next thing with the disciples, and he says this. I think some of that burning heart was, had to do with an articulation of, this is bigger than just you. You hear what I said? This is bigger than just us. It's, it's wonderful to know Jesus and have him as my personal Savior, but what the Lord is up to is so much bigger than anything we could have possibly imagined. And he is at work even now. Luke 24, and then of course it ends in it doesn't end, but it, we see kind of the, the bridge in Scripture, if you will, that launches in Genesis 12 and goes all the way through Scripture and lands in Revelation chapter 7, where we have this incredible picture of heaven. We have this incredible picture of people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. Now, what do you do with that? By the way, those four words show up five different times uh, again in the book of Revelation. You should look up some of those other texts because God is saying, this is humanity. This is Adam. This is Adam, how humanity itself has divided itself up and how you have divided it up and how this is, this is everybody. This is all nations, if you will. And there they are, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. Amen? By the way, you need to learn these words because you're going to be saying them later. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> I do believe that. I believe this is a, a video of your future, a picture of heaven. And there we are praising and, and giving glory to God and saying salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb seated on the throne. Oh my goodness, what an incredible, beautiful picture that is. And that is the culmination of it. And that is, that is where this is going. And that is where we are going. Lord declaring himself to be Lord of all nations. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. How many different ways do you need to say it? About as many as we can come up with. And how does he do this declaration? He does it through us. He does it through his messengers. The message necessitates a messenger. Like, duh. <laughs> of course it does. But the messenger is human. Now why the Lord does it this way is almost puzzling to me. <laughs> but yet, it is beautiful. The privilege, not just the obligation, not just the task, not just the need, but the privilege of doing things that matter for eternity. Ah! <laughs> That should put a smile on your face that never goes away. You're, some of you are working on that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. It, it, the incredible privilege of how God has designed this to be. And when you think about what happens in Scripture and how it is that, uh, you know, that it wasn't uh, the angel that explained to Cornelius what to do. He said, you, you need to go talk to Peter. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's, he's over there and, and go find him. I got to do a little work while you're on your way, but I'll set all that up. <laughs> go read that in Acts 10, it's all there. Uh, you, need, you need to go talk to Peter because Peter has been privileged with giving you the message of salvation. Now, Jesus himself didn't even explain it to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He said, Go, go into town, and I'm, and I'm doing some work right now, <laughs> getting somebody ready because they're kind of a hard nut to crack. But they, and I was going to show up and tell you what they didn't say all that, but that's what happens. Read that in Acts chapter 9. There it is. Ananias has a privilege. Peter has a privilege. We have the privilege of being the, the, the announcing place, the speaking place, the, the articulation of the incredible good news of the gospel. Amen. Oh, my goodness. The funny thing is about all this is that uh, a lot of the rest of the world totally understands what it means to take things to the nations, you know. Uh, years ago, I walked into a cafe well, it was kind of a cafe, it was outside, but in uh, Burkina Faso, one of the poorest countries on earth, and uh, it was pretty humble, but they had, you know, they had sandwiches and things to drink, and so, and it was hot, and so uh, I, uh, I asked for a Coca-Cola, and they didn't speak English, and I didn't speak trade language, there was French, much less any of the tribal languages, but, uh, and there were buzzards hopping around, <laughs> which kind of worried me, but... Uh, <laughs> This all happened, and uh, I said, Coca-Cola, he goes, he nods his head and goes and gets me a, brings out a, what's obviously a bottle of Coca-Cola, and I thought, huh, how did that happen? <laughs> how did a drink that was devised by a guy named Pemberton about 1860, I think, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, made from the cola bean, and you know, you know what Coca-Cola is. How did it get here? <laughs> it's because some people decided it would. Some people said, okay, we have a mission statement. It's to put a can of Coke in, or a bottle of Coke in everybody's hand on the planet. Let's get at it. 
And that's exactly what they've done. And they've pretty much succeeded. You can go almost anywhere and ask for Coca-Cola just like that, and they'll bring it to you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't even like Coke that much. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, some of my students, I said, you need a mission strategy? They go, yeah, yeah, what is it? Go follow the Coke trucks. <laughs> <laughs> our God at work in his word, our God at work in the world. And the last few things I want to share with you this morning have to do with the way in which we are seeing God at work in our world. A lot of you know the story of China and how um, literally millions of people have come to faith in China, and there's been a tidal wave of, of faith and and with all kinds of uh, caveats on that, but I'm not going to talk about that. You can ask Ted about that and Bev or a lot of other people here. It's an incredible thing that's happening in China. There's more, probably more Chinese believers in church this morning than there are American Christians in church in America. But did you know that it's also happening in India? Um, I've been to India about, I don't know, 15, 16 times. And a friend of mine and I are involved in helping do some research actually in the, the state of the church in India on a broad scale. And I've met personally people that have been involved in planting five and 10 and even 15,000 churches, not themselves personally, but the networks they're in. And so people say, is this really happening? And so we go and we research it and it's not only happening, it's a lot more than what they're telling us. There's an incredible um, amount of activity taking place in the spirit world in the, in the, in the sense of the gospel being preached <coughs> in India. <laughs> and just this, just this morning or yesterday, I can't remember when, but I was thinking about that. I thought, and of all places, India with Modi, you know, I don't know if you know who Modi is, but he's a pretty radical, fundamental Hindu uh, and persecution and the difficulties that the churches are going through there right now is significant and they need to be in your prayers and the same thing in China with Qi and all the things that are happening there isn't that interesting <laughs> are you listening to what I'm saying it's like we think oh that's news no actually what's going on in the spirit world has a lot more to do with what you see on national and international news than you might possibly imagine I think about what's happening in the Muslim world where a friend of mine who is a converted Muslim himself uh, told me not long ago that this is what I do when I meet another, another Muslim or someone I think is going to be a Muslim, and they usually are, and I ask him one simple question after just saying, hello, my name is such and such. He said, I ask him this. I ask him, have you seen the man in white? And he said, one person in ten. I don't know what you think about the theology of that. I don't know that I care, but <laughs> I don't know what to think about it either, it's, but he said, you just simply asked them that question. They said, one in ten says, how did you know? And the fact is they've seen something in a dream of some sort that they don't know how to explain it, and it's left them incredibly inquisitive and wondering what in the world's going on. Um, there are more Muslims that have come to faith in the last uh, two decades than all previous history combined, and that's about... Um, 1,300 years of history. Now, there's a lot of work left to do there, for sure, but you believe Habakkuk, too? <laughs> I love messing with you. It's fun. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to be nutty, but it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the nations 
The nations that God's sending literally right here to us, not too many years ago, we had people that we sent over to Afghanistan to uh, reach out to uh, a certain group of people that we call the Pearl People now, uh, and uh, a big, big group of people, 55 million. And uh, they eventually, they, they worked there, and they're still working with them, but they, can't, they couldn't stay in Afghanistan. They had to move to another part of the world where there were a bunch of, of immigrants that were living there, and that's where they live now. And uh, who would have foreseen that Pearl people, are you ready for this? Pearl people were sent to Joplin, Missouri, and live right now across the street from our church. <laughs> it's like, I can't make this up. Now, that doesn't mean they come and jump in the baptistry. You don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's just that, huh, what do you know? Is, are there problems? Well, of course there are. I mean, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Behold, a great and effective door is opened before me, and there are many adversaries, <laughs> and there are many obstacles. Of course there are problems. <laughs> But there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what else to do, and so I laughed, you know. <laughs> and then one of the most exciting things of evidence of God at work in our world right now is not, with none other than PBT, Pioneer Bible Translators, whom you have people staying here with you right now. And, and I'm sure they've told you the fact that within the next uh, 25 to 30 years, every people group left on the planet is going to have scriptures in their heart language? That's never happened. What does that mean? I don't know. It just means that's really good. <laughs> you know, the very thing that Jesus made sure happened on the day of Pentecost where everybody that heard the gospel heard it from in their heart language as if their own mother explained it to them. The dialects and the heart language, it's all right there. Oh my goodness, the, the work of Bible translation that's happening today. All of these things, people, as we look at God's heart, as we look at God's world, and then as we think about how do we respond to this. And I have four simple things for you to think about. First response should be a heart of prayer. A heart that breaks for what breaks his heart. A heart that asks him to do his will on earth as it is done in heaven. That's straight out of the Lord's Prayer. That is what we call Missio Dei. That is God on a mission. And we are simply joining ourselves to that mission. It calls for, secondly, a generosity of spirit that sees material blessings that we have as being destined for God's purposes, not for our own. The, gift that we're give, the gifts that we're given are meant to be given away. And that comes down as practical as material blessing. And thirdly, a response is a welcoming friendship posture toward the nations that he sends to us that are right here among us. You know, there's at least 70 different um, ethnicities represented in the Joplin, Missouri area alone. I mean, I've run into, all you got to do is go to Walmart. <laughs> I'm serious. And go stand in the international food aisle and you will, Walmart's not dumb, you know. <laughs> And so they, these people come, they want the foods, that, and it's, it's not hard to find them. Or go to the local colleges and, see, and meet uh, international students that have been sent to us, and to realize that when uh, we read Matthew 25, and I was a stranger, which means foreigner, by the way, the word is xenos, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. The kingdom of God 
uses its power to welcome the outsider, not to keep them out. And then lastly, a willingness to hear our Lord when he asks the question, and who will go for us? Hmm. I don't know what you're going to do with that. I'm still working on what I'm trying to do with that. But here I am, Lord. I want to be a faithful servant, and I think you do too. Will you pray with me? Lord, Lord, we are stunned when we look at what your heart truly is. Lots of ways it wasn't what I expected when I came to your word. And then when we look at what you are doing right now, Lord, help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have hearts that are stand ready to humbly serve you. And whatever way it is you have for us to serve, Lord, I thank you for this church and their heart for the nations. I thank you for the ways in which they have shown generosity of spirit and ways in which they have sent their own uh, to the field. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them so that, that they might all together and even individually be blessings to the nations. Lord, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.